Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. We're going to talk about contracts. Everybody's favorite topic. And it's actually a hot topic right now because everybody's trying to figure out what do I do with my customers? Do I give them grace on their contracts? Do I let them out of their contracts? Like, what are we, what are we trying to do there? So why don't we even start at the beginning? Like what, what is a contract in the, in the actual formal sense of the word? Um, and how do you think about, you know, from your perspective, Jay is, you know, leading the customer success team, you know, were you heavily involved in the contracting process, you know, with your peer on the sales side? And so how did you, you know, first think about how do we construct the contract and how does it represent what the company wants to achieve? Like what, what our company wants to achieve in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of terms of when we're getting paid in terms of cancellation terms, like how did you think about all those factors? Yep. Um, so I was lucky enough. Well, a couple of things. I learned about revenue recognition when I was at Blackbaud and in their, in the services team and, you know, for, the uninitiated revenue is not the same thing as cash, right? And I think in the SaaS world, you know, there's this thing called a booking. We, we often hear about bookings and then we hear about revenue. Then we hear about cash. Those are all like different concepts. So um, I guess to me, and, and by the way, I was like, I was going to say, I, I was lucky enough to have a CFO who spent a ton of time with me at one of my, uh, one of my SaaS companies that I worked at and really, um, spent a ton of time engaging around what the value of these contracts was and how we thought about them and how we were going to enforce them and how, when we were going to be lenient on them. And so the assigned contract is, is typically what represents a booking in, a, in the SaaS world. And, you know, some people have different ways of, of representing a booking, but a booking is basically a guarantee is sort of a, it's a leading metric to revenue and it's a leading metric to cash. So for instance, I'll make it real easy on myself. If I sign a contract for $1,200 or if a contract is signed for $1,200, that's a booking on the day that that contract was signed, which is why we try to get them in by the end of the month. And then what that will do in a SaaS company is it'll turn into about $100 a month in revenue and loss statement, P&L. But that may be completely disconnected from when we collect the cash, right? The cash may come in the door 60 days from now, 30 days from now, maybe do immediately. Um, but essentially a contract is the, the agreement between two parties, two businesses in our world, because we do B2B SaaS, um, about when you're going to pay, what kind of service you're going to get over what time period. And so I, I think the big parameters are the, the pricing, the term, which is how long, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, month to month, whatever it is. And um, when is payment due? So that's a contract. And I, I think it sounds pretty simple, but you know, some of these good foundational things are good for people to think about, especially when you're yeah. learning. Yeah, and you mentioned, so let's talk about those three things too. So you mentioned pricing. Um, so you know, generally this is, when we're looking at the contract, the pricing is you know, what are the services that we're gonna provide for the pricing? And that's generally the activity that is, kind of marketing led normally uh, it's, you know, involving product, involving customer success and hopefully involving sales to, you know, kind of round out that package and make sure that 
whatever we are presenting, we can actually deliver upon. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm actually putting out there a contract uh, or pricing that is, uh, you know, just for the software itself, uh, and then thinking about services different, you know, understanding those dichotomies, understanding what really comes in the, uh, the value of that software. Uh, you know, again, I think this is where the evolution of the perpetual license days into SaaS has really changed the perception of buying and what, what am I getting in that actual contract for the software itself? Is it, you know, do I get onboarding implementation? Do I get a uh, customer success manager directly assigned to me? Um, you know, do I get customer support at a certain tier or level? So uh, I think all of those things are certainly some of the dynamics that go into that entire kind of pricing module uh, yep. that you just called out as one of the elements of that contract. Yep, that's right. So that's maybe what we would think about as the scope of service or the, you know, whatever the package of services that you bought. So do you uh, generally, when you were in some of your organizations, was there flexibility in kind of the pricing and the service and the scope there? What, what, how much flexibility was it? Um, you know, obviously you want to be, I think in general, what the rule of thumb is, right, is the more repeatable that we can become, that's where we start to earn our margin that we're trying to get in a software business. Um, yeah. But at the same time, all businesses operate differently. So um, how did you think about maybe concessions or think about adopting or adapting that pricing and scope of service um, in the contract? You, you mean before it was signed or after it was signed? Before. Yeah, well, that, that's, where pricing, that's where pricing and packaging as a marketing effort really is valuable, right? Because you're, you're trying to put together the, the prescriptive solution as a package predefined before you sell it, right? So in theory, it's more than just the pricing and the scope. It's actually, it's actually the messaging around that. It's the fit for the ideal client. Like there's so much that goes into that. But um, so I think the more, the more high end you go in terms of enterprise customers versus maybe a mid-market or a small and medium-sized business kind of customer, SMB, you're going to see more customization. So, you know, one of the companies I used to work for, we used to do, you know, seven-figure deals and you better believe those things are highly customized. And often those contracts are even written on the customer's paper, right? They're quote unquote, their standard MSA that their procurement team provides. Now, if I'm selling a product that's $2,000 a year, I'm not going to do any of that, right? Because I can't, I can't afford to bring in legal counsel to do red lines on an agreement, right? Uh, and I'm certainly not going to, I'm certainly not going to tailor the scope to every, every $2,000 client that I have. But if I'm selling a $2,000 a year product, I should be able to define some rails that make it, you know, a standard offering with standard scope and standard, you know, pricing. And then I deliver it in a standard way to my ideal clients who can really benefit from that standard package. And, you know, then it's scalable to your point. So that's how I think about the before. But then there's the after. And I think that's where everybody's questions are right now. It's like, okay, we got all these contracts in place, right? We've, we've taken the bookings. We've reported those to our board. We've got now this situation, right, where some of our clients are going out of business, some of our clients are just maintaining and they're, you know, trying to figure out where their budgets are going to end up. Some of our clients are thriving. Like, what do we, how do we sort of deal with those contracts now? Yeah. That's the tricky part. Um, I can tell you how we would deal with it. Um, let's, you know, put COVID off to the side and pretend like it wasn't happening for a second. That'd be a fun thing to do, at least for me. Um, but, you know, in a normal situation, contracts are just sort of not negotiable, right? Like we want to, we want to hold our contracts as, um, as our sacred thing because 
that's what actually gives value to our business. We have arrangements with other businesses that sort of guarantee our future cash flow as a SaaS company. Um, the only time like we would ever let people out of their contracts is if there was some, well, I shouldn't say the only time, but sort of some of the predominant examples are if, um, if we found out that there was some kind of mis, like grossly misrepresented thing in the sales process. So we grossly misrepresented what we could do or how we could serve the client and we just can't deliver that thing, right? On good measure, we take that booking off the board, we let the client out of that contract and we go on about our way, right? It's hard to, it's hard to sort of defend that. You know, yeah, it goes black and white, right? Or theoretically, like it becomes very, uh, very obvious if we, if they've got documentation from the sales cycle, if, you know, if they can actually kind of pull these things through and show that. Um, so how would you think about that now, you know, going through, obviously we can't envision COVID uh, not being here because it is. So how would you think about the, how would you think about the now? And, and I think um, also thinking about the three vectors and maybe talking through pricing term and payment, like how do you, you know, I guess like, are there certain levers that you would pull at certain times? Like, would you use some in certain situations, um, you know, as you're going through this exercise with your, you know, with your customers right now? Yeah. So let's not forget that everything is negotiable, right? Just because we have a contract doesn't mean we can't come back and revisit the terms and we can't put a better offer on the table. So I think, you know, the big thing people are, so we just had our, our office hours, right? Our, our leadership office hours. And the big thing that people are asking is, Hey, we have, we already have customers coming to us who are saying, you know, what are you guys thinking about in terms of giving us some flexibility on our contracts? Now we know we don't want those customers to go away in theory, most of the time, as long as they're, you know, Aaron Thompson made a good, a good point in the, in our panel discussion about this. Some of these clients aren't a good fit for us today anyway. So if they're coming to us and saying, hey, we need you know, some real deep flexibility on payment for the next year, it might be a good opportunity to go ahead and let them, you know, let them go find another solution. Um, so there is that. But I think you know, one of the other things, if, if a client is a good client that's a good fit for the product, they can get value out of it, they're just in a squirrely time, then we should think about negotiating those terms, right? And so the, one of the first things I would think about is saying, hey, is there a way for us to delay payment for some you know, defined period of time? And by the way, when we do that, when we touch any of these terms, we're gonna open the contract back up. That means everything's up for discussion, right? Um, so maybe we delay payment, but we do an early renewal now for the next 24 months and we say you don't have to pay anything for 12 months, right? And when you do, maybe you do a, a catch up payment. So we're not even necessarily giving back any of our future or current earnings potential, we're just delaying the cash, right? Now that's a business decision that everybody's gonna have to make because as you know, as we know, software companies highly leveraged, meaning we've borrowed money so that we can keep running them. And so there, there's all kinds of calculus that's gonna have to go into figuring out how much we can offer, which set of customers we can offer that flexibility to on payment without putting ourselves completely out of business, right? So I envision there's going to be a lot of board level discussions about that, um, about just how much we can give and in which ways, um, you know, before these decisions really start beginning to get codified. But I was surprised to, 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 to hear how many uh, companies are already having substantial conversations around this, like today, March 19th. Yeah. Finance teams must be working overtime. 
uh, especially. But I mean, I think that that that's an interesting nuance that you mentioned, though, where when you think about these some of these organizations, at least that we've been working with closely, you know, typically private equity backed, um, some of them venture capital backed, that changes the discussion, it changes the equation. Uh, when you look at it from that perspective, rather than being a publicly traded or even, uh, you know, being a bootstrap business, um, in each of those scenarios, you have different implications of where the cash lives and when you need it for the business, right? Uh, yeah, certainly a bootstrap business that needs to pay their employees to keep going and needs, you know, needs to actually make money to live uh, very much sounds like they would need the cash uh, in that scenario. So they would be probably much more attuned to uh, maybe actually negotiating the pricing as much as that probably sounds as, as a uh, not, you know, not necessarily something you'd want to be doing very much, but maybe they're looking at, you know, how do I, how do I slim the pricing down so that I can still get cash in the door and actually keep the business afloat and moving and then revisit it once we you know come out of the other side of this where i think like you mentioned the other two you know a private equity backs uh or potentially even a, a public company they're not necessarily worried about going uh you know worrying about the cash flow in the door right now because they might have reserves of cash already built up for a rainy day like this if you if you've got a good cfo i would probably imagine these are the types of scenarios that they are always running in their head to say hey we want to have you know, 12, 18, 24 months worth of cash that we could weather a storm like this. And so if they are able to do that, uh, that's where you actually get probably even better leverage um, in that situation because you can go have conversations like you were saying, where instead of it being a negative where, hey, we need to, you know, we need to look at this client's contract again. We need to rescope this. We need to look kind of, oh, they're not gonna be able to pay us. It probably becomes like you said, uh, hey, you know what? Let's, while we have the contract open, let's go ahead and renew it for 24 months, 36 months. We might as well. Uh, and like you said, we don't need the cash this year. You know, our business is in a very good financial stable, financially stable position to weather the storm. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to make you pay this January 1st of 2021. And uh, it really reverses the, it's not, you know, it's the cliche of negative and turn a negative into a, into a positive. And I think in that scenario, uh, like you said, if it's an ideal client fit, which I think is a big part and um, that, you know, that business is somebody that is going to be strategic for us is really going to help us. Like we need to find the right way to have that conversation. Um, so well, let me put it back on you. What if, what if we as a business, uh, I'm, you know, maybe we're private equity backed or venture capital backed. Um, and what if we as a business aren't in such a financially stable position where we can delay the cash? You know, how do you think about the other two, you know, the other two levers that you have in the contract and, and, you know, what is a, I don't know, what's a likely scenario that plays out in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Probably what I would expect that most CEOs and CFOs are doing right now is they're going back to their investors and their banks and they're, they're sort of identifying where they can um, rely on additional sources of cash to go, you know, to go through the, you know, the next little bit here and make sure that they're you know, sort of short up in your words. Um, so, you know, I think if you're in a little bit more dire of a situation, then maybe, you know, you just be a little bit more honest with your clients, right? I mean, there, there has to be a threshold. I don't, I don't love the idea of ever reducing price because I think it erodes your ability in the future to, to collect. If you, if you take your price down, you're, you're sort of stuck there, right? It's not like, hey, we've got a COVID price and we've got a non-COVID price. Like we're providing value or not. Now that being said, like you start with the other things first. Can we adjust, you know, the, the payment date? Can we adjust the, the term length? Like, can we use some of these other levers? Can we even take you down to a smaller package, like a package that's not so robust right now? Um, 
And then as a last resort, maybe you touch price, but everybody's going to have to make that determination. I mean, if it, if it allows you to keep your contracts in place and fight another day, and that's the last option you have to do it, you know, um, I think we got to do that with a little bit of financial fidelity behind those calculations. So we know just what we're giving up and we, it would behoove us to get our boards involved with that so that they can help us think through the problem. And, you know, presumably they're the ones we're going back to for money. So they're going to be helping us think through solutions on how to cover the gap if one is going to exist. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, as you think about the customer success leader uh, right now in this moment, yeah, I guess there's three things that come to mind to me. One is obviously you need to, you need to get tight with your CFO right now. You need to be having the, those types of conversations and probably looping in your, you know, your marketing counterparts, your CEO and your sales leader uh, so that everyone's on the same page. Uh, and I would imagine that, you know, it, the CEO is probably driving that conversation already or should be, but that's, you know, step number one is really getting tight on what is the business decision here and what do we feel comfortable doing? Uh, I think number two, it sounds like then making sure that your team has an understanding of the contracts, right? I think this is where maybe we see a lot of companies um, haven't necessarily done the best job of helping their individual contributors understand the levers of a contract and understand why we want to hold them to, you know, a certain regard, like you mentioned. Uh, so I think that's number two is, is trying to understand the unified message that's going to come out um, and, and under, helping your team understand the contracts uh, and the levers that we have to pull. I think that was number two. And then number three is um, also trying to be uh, kind of flexible as you start hearing from your customers. I think, um, like you mentioned, there, there are some parts and there's a, uh, maybe an order of operations that you want to go to. But I think the other thing is that this situation is very unique and it's also changing every single minute or hour or day. And so I think you also have to be uh, understanding of actually getting the feedback from your individual contributors, from the team that's out there, understanding what's happening in the market. And then also like having that conversation back up into your executive leadership team to say, here's what we're, you know, here's what the market's happening, what's happening in the market right now. Um, and being able to kind of have that two way, you know, making sure that your individual, individual contributors are having the right conversations and then making sure you're pulling all the relevant information back up to your team. But anything else out of those three steps that you would, you would uh, add in there? Totally. No, I mean, that, that's perfect. I mean, I think that's exactly what you want to do. And before you go making a decision, you need to talk to some customers, like understand what the actual situation is on the ground. I think that's probably the worst thing you could do is overreact, assume one thing and be completely wrong. And I, I don't know that it, people will do that, but you know, if one person listens to this and doesn't do that, then that's good. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like, like every other change you want to make, like incorporate the customer into your decision-making process. I think the only other thing I would add to that is, you know, number three, you said, listen to customers and be flexible. I would say, don't be afraid to tell the customers we don't know yet. Like, but we're going to know on X, Y, and Z date. I think, you know, our, our friend who spoke up on the, on the office hours call said something similar. Like, he's like, we actually just don't know what we're going to do yet. And I think it's okay to say, look, it's March 19th today. Our goal is to have a clear answer to you by April 15th. And, you know, if you don't hear from, you will hear us, hear from us by that date or before, right? And then you follow up with them like you said you were going to. But I think that's, you know, that allows you some breathing room. Like you said, this is changing every minute, every hour, every day, every week. So, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself and in, in trying to overreact, like get some feedback and do it right. Be strategic about it. I like it. Well, hopefully this was some good quick hit around contracts. I think we got a lot of feedback on you know, our office hours and we got a lot of feedback just from what we've been seeing on LinkedIn, you know, obviously going through the situation. So we wanted to put this together. Uh, but I like this one. This is, I think this was some good stuff. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain, grow, retain podcast. 
If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. 